Creativity and a learning mindset are essential to succeed. Learn how these innovators put these skills to use to become the best in their fields. Welcome to Innovators to Know, brought to you by IdeaMix. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce to you Deborah Rappaport. Deborah, welcome to the IdeaMix podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Deborah Rappaport is a visual artist working with non-traditional and repurposed materials to create wearables that she often sports herself, as today. Um, Her hats start with what she's called the ABC system. And I really want Deborah to explain that acronym to us as we go along here. But in every way, she's been a visionary ahead of her time, years ago embracing the idea that frugality is fun and constantly reinventing and curating her closet without being a conspicuous consumer. Deborah was trendy and sustainable before it was trendy to be sustainable. Her work is in a variety of museum collections, including the Met in New York, Lacroix LA, the Ilias Lalaonis Museum in Athens, and the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, among others. Deborah, we're so thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you. Delighted. So, Deborah, I want to take a quick look at this short clip, which really talks about how you got started doing what you do. Let's take a quick listen. This was an old soul that was in the street. So I picked that up, and then I came back, and in five minutes, I made the hat. And again, it's just debris, Deborah Debris. Residue Rappaport. The floral embellishment in this is just cut up toilet paper rolls. It would naturally curls, and so it becomes like a blossom. I just love it. <laughs> With this garbage over there. I want that piece of metal. I love that. <gasps> Recycled materials speak to me because they just show up in my life. And it's like we have a relationship. So something happens and they become like a friend. And it's like. I can't walk away from you. I can't let you go in the landfill. I need to take you home and befriend you. Deborah, how did you begin creating style items from pieces that you found? And you've done this now for so long. How has your process changed over time? Well, I guess it, it really comes from curiosity and experimentation. And my mother was very creative, and she allowed us to make things, stay home and and be creative, dress up, and none of that was considered frivolous because it was a creative act Yes, and self-expression, and that was the most important thing. So I think it started at age three. And then when I went to art school, I was really interested in materials that I found that were available even before recycle and sustainability mattered. And, um, you know, part of it, when you're in school, you don't have a huge budget, so you can't go out and, you know, unless you're a goldsmith, that you're going to get gold. And I just started to, I went down to the local television station, and they had old thick videotape then, and I asked for reels of that, and I started crocheting with that because I come from a textile background. Yeah. So I did weaving and crocheting and knitting and macrame and other forms of knotting. And, and you learned uh, that from your mother and grandmother. Uh, well, a little bit. And yeah. Nana taught us knitting, okay. you know. And even though I was left-handed, Nana said, 
I can't teach you knitting. You're left-handed. I said, but Nana, you knit with two hands. Yeah. So I picked up my sisters and I said, okay, Nana, help me. Yeah. So I, it just went off from there. Yeah. You know. Um, so materials was part of it. Process was part of it. Hands-on was always part of it. We loved being in the kitchen and cooking, so we loved washing vegetables and, and cleaning them. Yeah. And so it was all, it's all about the hands, yeah. you know? Yeah. And being left-handed, my hands were important to me. Yeah. Sort of the tactile experience of working with materials of different kinds. Totally. Totally. And how did that evolve for you over time? You talked about while being in art school, <laughs> using this old videotape that really you started to crochet and kind of make materials with. Mm -hmm. How has that evolved over time for you? Well, I still am attracted to unusual things that are just showing up. Yeah. Like in the 70s, I came back to New York. I was living in California. I came back for a visit and I stayed a few months and I started finding found metal mm. in the streets. Mm -hmm. And I started putting that together into wearables, just like what I'm wearing here, only this is a current one. Yeah. And I did that all through the 90s, and then cars were made out of plastic, so there was very little metal to be found. Yeah. Lately, I'm finding more, and I'm trained by partner, and he comes home every day with at least two pieces. Nice. And, um, and then, it, you know, it was just other things, just old textiles, old rope, paper, cord i love paper cord because i can un unply it and make it flat yeah keep it keep it a linear element um and anything else that just seems to show up for some reason i find things and they speak to me so it's about the relationship it's not forcing it it's like i can't walk by and not pick that up and take it home and have some kind of an agreement and arrangement with it I love what you said in terms of that these materials speak to you because on the one hand, they're a symbol of our society, right, at any given time. Like, what are we throwing away as a, as a society and a community? And at the same time, um, there's this really personal affinity and connection that you develop with these objects that really give them the life and meaning that they then go on to have, whether mm -hmm. it's in the form of a necklace or a work of art that mm -hmm. you may create. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I want to take a quick look at this clip from a TED Talk that Deborah did. Let's take a quick listen. Allow me to introduce one of the first women that I ever photographed, Deborah Rappaport. She is a perfect example of someone who is aging with vitality. I was a very creative child. My sister and I loved to dress up. Instead of dolls, we would dress ourselves up. This was encouraged by my mother and my grandmother because they could see us develop and discover and experiment, finding creative solutions throughout life. I use that still today as a way of solving issues. As a child, I was a very intense, shy, and extremely big worrier. So much so that my father would say to me, I think I will hire you to worry for me. Creativity was my way out. I felt that with creativity, there are no rules. And without rules, there is no fear. We felt safe, and we felt that there was no judgment. 
School didn't always feel that way. My mother was a maverick and a seeker, and we became strict vegetarians in the late 1940s. So she would keep us home for wellness days because we were never sick. And this was an opportunity to go museuming, go antiquing, and make art. Boy, was she ahead of her time. Being so shy and independent, I knew I had to structure my own life. But how? I wanted to stay home while my older, very beautiful, sophisticated sister was out on the town. I wanted to stay home, dress up, dress the dog, and invent outfits that would embellish and camouflage and be tenting over my less-than-perfect teenage body. I called this ABCs, assembling, building, and constructing. Deborah, you talked at your TED Talk about how your creativity was fostered as a child. You mentioned it in terms of your mother and grandmother. And how we need to do the same for future generations. In some ways, we've failed to do that as a society, right? We, I think, started with industrialization and this idea that people had to become quite specialized and sort of get into a track and stay on that track for their whole careers and lives. And we've almost sort of sucked the creativity out of work and professional engagement. And it's reflected, I think, in the degree of dissatisfaction that people feel with the work that they do, that they don't feel they're fulfilling their sense of purpose. Tell us a little about that. Well, starting with the with, uh, educational system, I think a lot of schools are cutting out the art programs and movement. I think now they're beginning to come back because they recognize the importance, yeah. especially if children are underprivileged and they can't do that as an after-school activity because children have to create. And I found everything was okay until I went to first grade and then suddenly intimidation stepped in and it's like, no, that's not the way you do that. That's not the way you draw that. All and of these was, rules. Yeah. And so one of my favorite quotes that I say is, where there's creativity, there are no rules. Where there are no rules, there is no fear. Mm. It's the rules that just um, break you down, freeze you, and intimidate you. So young children are, are totally fearless. And we have to keep that active play and that youthfulness and say, well, you know, it's not brain surgery. I can't make a mistake. Right. So it's wrong. You know, oftentimes when I teach a workshop, we'll start out and make a very simple collage. Yeah. Piece of paper, a couple images, paste. And then I say, okay, we're going to tear it in half. Tear it in half? My chef Dover, you're going to make me destroy it and tear it in half? Yes. And if you tear it in half, give half of it to the person sitting next to you. And now take the other half, do something with that. And then I say, okay, now we're warmed up. Now we're ready to start because it, nothing is that precious. Yes. And when you make a piece of art and you don't love it, you put it aside for a while, you look at it in a few days, it looks different. Maybe you take a part of it, or you turn it upside down, and suddenly it's a brand new thing that, that's inspirational. And that's the creative process. It's a process. And you can't be creative without making a mess. I have another story. My grandpa, Russian Jews, would come in the room. My sister and I would go stay over, and we'd go to the 
sewing machine and we'd take out the button drawer and we'd dump it in the living room floor and start to play. And Grandpa would say, oi, oi, they're making a mess. And Grandma would say, be quiet, they're being creative. And that runs through every cell in my body, you know, and God bless Grandma. Absolutely. God bless her indeed. Um, How do you feel, Deborah? You've been doing this for a very long time at this point. How do you feel your work impacts the next generation? And and so many are now present, right, and have Mm -hmm. had experiences of your work or had an opportunity to be in workshops with you. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you feel that impacts them. Well, I have like more 25, 30-year-old friends than I have friends my age. And I just love that opportunity. And they are now aware of the state of the planet. Yeah. So they are into permaculture and recycling and, and re- all of that. Yes. And um, then when we meet up, we're on the same page in a way. And I just encourage them, based that I've been doing this 55, almost 60 years, and it didn't have a title or, or, or a real purpose other than it worked for me. Yeah. So I am seeing the young people very, very intrigued and very committed yeah. to this movement. Yeah. And they're doing great things. I'm so proud of them. It's here to stay. Yeah. 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 And they're taking it to another level. Totally. Yeah. As you look back on your career... What were the difficult moments? What were some of the challenges that you dealt with? Well, there's always the challenge of how am I going to make a living? Yes. You know? Yeah. And I did teach at the University of California, Davis, for eight years, and it was Mm. a a tenured job. And I loved it, and I loved my faculty. I'm still uh, friends with all of them if they're alive. Yeah. And But there was something about academia that just didn't resonate with me. It was a little political. And I found myself having headaches and throwing up on my way home. And I said, there's something wrong with this picture. So I said, I've got to leave. And of course, everybody thought I'd lost my mind. So I took a year's leave of absence. And at that point, I was collaborating with two other women artists. And we were doing performance art also around food and healing and textiles and women's issues. It was uh, the mid-late 70s. And then I went back and I asked my chairperson, I said, well, is it possible for me to come back and teach collaboratively? And he said, well, we don't do that here. And I said, well, then I have to say farewell. So then I divorced my husband, came back to New York, and I said, what am I going to do? I was still making artwork, exhibiting, selling some, but how was I going to pay the rent? Yeah. And of course, that's always an issue, and that's one of the reasons I never wanted to have children because I knew it would be hard enough to take care of myself, let alone an additional appendage. And um, so then my sister and I started a, a catering business, and we catered the galleries and, and the craft museum and that circle of friends. And then shortly after that, I started a flower business with a friend who okay. happened to also be a weaver. Yeah. And we did that for 16 years. And it was very similar to being a weaver because it was color, texture, placement. Yes. And she was very savvy in horticulture, so she taught me that end. And, um, and we, we, we were so well-known in the flower market and all over because we were over the top. And we were older already. I was in my 50s. She was okay. almost in her 60s. And we loved it until... Mm-hmm. We were exhausted and couldn't deal with it anymore because everybody thinks it's the most glamorous business. But it's hard work. It's hard work. Very hard work. Any business is really hard work. Yeah. There's no getting away from that. And physical as well. Slepping the plants and the water and the buckets and changing. and Anyway, 
So, you know, I figured, well, if I'm going to start a business, I want it to be something I can relate to. Yeah. And she wanted to open a flower shop. And I said, flowers, yes, shop, no, because I knew how difficult it would be to have a, a retail space. Yes. You know, then you have to start selling uh, greeting cards and daisies and yeah. this and that. So we just kept it. It was called in situ and we worked on site only. Okay. Fantastic. In a sense, you, what you've described in terms of leaving UC Davis and the reason you left UC Davis, clearly you were seeking collaboration mm -hmm. in the two things you did mm -hmm. after that, both with your sister as well as with your friend. And collaborations are, they fuel our creativity, right? And, and to your point earlier in your workshops where you want an interaction and engagement and collaboration among to participants um, so that they interact with, but also are able to key off each other's work. How in your creative work with the hats and the jewelry that you make, has that collaboration piece been a factor or less of a factor there? Well, collaboration is a, a great word because you can really learn from each other. There can be competition, yeah. of course. but uh, one aspect I see as collaboration is when you have things that are wearable, you're walking down the street and people stop and talk to you. Yes. And so it's immediate inspiration on that level. Yeah. Again, without intimidation. Oh, I'm in a workshop. You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to succeed? Right. And all that. Yeah. And um, Ari Seth Cohen from Advanced Style years ago said, oh, well, you really have to do e-commerce. This was years ago. Yeah. And I said, oh, no, Ari, I'm not going to do e-commerce. I'm just going to do me-commerce. Yeah. Walk the streets. If people stop me, I'll give out cards. Anybody's welcome to come over yeah. and look at what I have or share the process. And yeah. I've made so many friends over the years, especially through Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. People all over the world that I visit, Amazing. they come, you know, everybody comes to New York. Yeah. So the collaboration continues. And in workshops, again, because everything I teach is so low-tech, mm -hmm. Nobody is panic struck or intimidated by it. You know, we work with with uh, toilet paper rolls, which we make the cuffs. Yeah. The earrings are made from toilet paper rolls. Yeah. You know, other bracelets that are made from the paper towels, yeah. like the hats, which I didn't bring any. And um, so, and some of the work that the students do, because they're so excited, it just even outshines my work. Maybe. So again, it's a collaboration where I'm stimulated and I benefit from it yeah. as well as, you know, the back of the forehead. As them. Yeah. What's the most, in terms of demographic that you love working with the most, what is that age group? Hmm. Either like 20, 30 or 80, 90. Okay. You know? <laughs> okay. Because again, there, there's a hunger yes. there. Yes. So it seems to be that they're very, very open. Fantastic. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit, Deborah. As you look back, what role has coaching, because we're a coaching company at IDMX, mm. um, and mentorship played in your life? You know, we're big believers in uh, the importance of, and, and the two are so interlinked, of creativity and learning, that as we go through our lives and careers, we're constantly in a process of learning. And we look actively as individuals for ways to learn. And some of those are, you know, sort of independent ways through reading and watching and creating. Mm -hmm. um, some of those are collaborative mm -hmm. through working with other people. 
uh, working with a coach, et cetera. So what would you say the role of coaching and mentorship has been for you? I think it's like everything, like life itself. It's like yeah. um, you're always sharing, you're always answering questions, you're always asking questions. Um, how else do we learn? And, and trial and error, experimentation. Yeah. Um, to me, that that's that's the greatest. You know, to try to be fearless and uh, try on new hats all the time. Yes. And apropos to that, people say, "Oh, I can't wear hats. I don't look good in hats." And I say, "Well, let's just try one on." And the minute you put a hat on, there's what we call hatitude. Something changes yeah. in the personality, and yeah. people are suddenly, yeah, oh. You know, and it may not be the perfect hat, so you try a different one, you try it forward, you try it back, hair out, hair in. You know, again, it's not brain surgery. Let's just get back to playing. Yes. You know, it's a creative process. Yeah, absolutely. And are there individuals that you feel were particularly influential in your evolution looking back? There are a few designers, you know, people say, who's your favorite mm. uh, Hollywood star? Um, oh, God, I just had her name earlier now. But God, it'll come. No worries. Uh, she's one of the voiceovers in the new Pinocchio. Um, oh, God. All right. She's Scottish. Okay. Uh, it'll come to me. Yeah. Um, of course, I, ha I, I have, have had a couple professors who were incredibly influential and and other artist friends who, you know, I learned from them yeah. or we learned together. Um, you know, I think living in a city, well, live, living in a city like New York where there's so much stimulation, you know, you're learning every day, your eyes are open and you're taking in. And of course, travel. Yes. You know, especially going to places like Turkey, India, yeah. South America, exactly. you know, where the cultures are so completely different than our rigid Western. Western. Yeah culture totally so last question deborah what overall message would you like to convey as an ambassador for the advanced style movement and and maybe tell our audience actually because we didn't talk about this um i'd love you to explain in your own words both the advanced style movement as well as your abc method oh okay yeah so advanced style started in 2008, and I met Ari Seth Cohen in 2009, yeah. and he was working at the New Museum managing the bookstore, and I walked in. It was a rainy day. I checked my umbrella, my raincoat, and he runs up to me and says, oh, can I take your picture? I take photographs of women over 60. And I said, how do you know I'm over 60? And then he said, oh, but I forgot my camera. So he borrowed somebody's cell phone. They existed already. And then I whipped out my card and I said, well, why don't you come over? I'll dress up, I'll undress, and I'll make you a vegetarian lunch. So I didn't hear from him. Five days later, I called him. He came over. We spent the whole day together. And the rest is history. And eventually he moved to L.A. with his husband, but I'm still like his New York mom. And um, so the whole advanced style thing was really, it was encouraged by his grandmother who had just passed away, who was a brilliant librarian and very creative and Ari feels like he learned everything about the creative process through grandma yeah. again and so when he came to New York he had never picked up a camera and suddenly he saw all these incredible women and he said I have to do something about this 
and blogs were just happening. So he started a blog. And, um, you know, he got in walking the streets of New York, Madison Avenue, Park Avenue, there were the West Village, Harlem. You know, it, 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 it's all day long. This, yes, you know, absolutely. it doesn't stop. Yeah. And so he said, now what do I do with all this? And um, so he um, started doing a couple videos. And then he met Lina Pleopleite. Uh, she was a barista. And she said, I want to work with you. And she mm. said, I'm a video artist. Mm. And they were both in their 20s. Yeah. So they hooked up and said, okay, we'll try it. We'll do a couple videos of the women and see where that goes. And so Lena came over to my house, and she's from Lithuania. My father was from Lithuania. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll be your Lithuanian mother in New York. <laughs> so we did videos, and the videos took off, and that's when they decided, okay, we're yeah. going to go next step and do a film. And okay. so Lena was the cinematographer and the editor. And the film is still out there playing. And, in fact, we just, just uh, two weeks ago did a, a piece on, on the Today Show Fantastic. about advanced style. Ari flew in. Special and three of us women did our shtick. How great is that? Yeah. And tell us maybe in in closing about the ABC system. Yeah, I think that's so powerful in terms of like a key takeaway for our listeners okay. to kind of incorporate into their own lives. Well, when I started back in the sixties, building forms for the body, yeah, I needed to come up with a way that I could explain them. And so ABC to me was assembling, building, and constructing using texture and color and using the body as an armature upon which to build these forms yeah. because they, you know, they weren't going to be sewn or whatever. They were constructed yeah. and I was building. And so today I still use my ABCs even when I get dressed. What am I applying on my body and how am I building it and how am I constructing it? Yeah. And it's just very simple to, you know, and when I get up in the morning, it's like a morning meditation. It's who am I today? How do I feel? And how do I want to express myself? And then it's just intuitive how I just open the closet and pull things or, or I get a vision and I just pull it together and, and that's it. I love that. That's a wonderful thought to leave our listeners with, a morning meditation made up of ABC. Yeah. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a review. Find your ideal coach at www.theideamix.com. Special thanks to our producer, Martin Maluski, and singer-songwriter Doug Allen. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.